If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. While uh, Steve was reading his quote before the prayer of confession, uh, I was thinking about the last couple of weeks. There's been several, it's been more than a couple of weeks, but the last several weeks there's been an emphasis on a lot of the uh, difficulties in many churches and denominations when it comes to sexual sin, especially sexual assaults by those that are on staff in churches. And there was like a, one of the denominations uh, released a list of individuals where there's been several complaints. And then there was, uh, along with that list, was a uh, list of those who I guess were complicit in covering up that kind of thing. And uh, I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but I do believe that part of the problem in churches that's so widespread is there's a lack of taking seriously sin. And one of the reasons why we have a sin of uh, a, a confession of sin together is it kind of serves as a reminder of the importance of us dealing with those issues and thinking about those things and understanding uh, sin in relation to God. There's also an article in the bulletin uh, where there's some, uh, it's kind of a summary of some points that John Owens made in dealing with sin or killing sin. And it's, it would be something good to read. Uh, again, like I said, I'm not saying that it's a cure-all. None of those things would ever happen, but just the amount that seems to have taken place uh, is very disturbing. And uh, I can't think of anything other than, as far as the major factor, which is sin in our hearts, but the major factor is maybe just not enough infinite, uh, emphasis in the lives of Christians on the seriousness of our dealing with sin. Uh, it's not to be a downer. It's just a part of life, and it's important that we do that um, and that we think about those things, and perhaps that will go a long ways in uh, maybe curbing behavior, desires, and whatever else is going on. Uh, that's very, very troubling. So... As we bow before the Lord in prayer, as always, there are many things that we should be praying about, uh, as well as asking the Lord to guide and direct our thinking as we deal with, with the word. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning. We first of all, Father, want to rejoice and thank you that we have the, the freedom we have to gather together. Father, we all know that war is, seems to be, as it's been termed, a necessary evil because of the sentence in the world. We do understand, Lord, that one of the main reasons we are able to gather together without really any fear or inhibition is because of those who have gone to war and really, in, in a sense, died in our place to ensure that we would have many of the freedoms that we enjoy, but in particular that one. And we are grateful for that. Father, we also are grateful for how you provide for all of us uh, the the jobs that we have, the income that we have to provide for our families and their needs, to provide shelter and, and to provide food and clothing and all the things that go along with that. And we, we thank you, Lord. We do live in a prosperous nation, and we are grateful, Father, really for the ease of life that we experience because of all of that. So, Fathers, we give a portion of that back to you to support your work. We ask for your blessing and that you would guide and direct us in wisdom in handling the finances of the church. 
And Father, in light of the news, there's been a lot, many things, Father, that, are, that occupy our minds, great tragedies that have happened, uh, violent events that really defy, in one sense, explanation. And then also, Lord, the hiding of many times of ongoing sin in, in the life of churches. Uh, Father, these disturbing things that uh, bother us deeply and that are deeply troubling, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would give to us clarity of thought and understanding. And that at least, first of all, that we would examine ourselves first. That, Father, we would not take the road of arrogance and just thank you that we're not like others. That, Lord, that we would examine our hearts because we are like others. Oftentimes, we have been withheld by your mighty hand from being involved maybe in sinful situations ourselves. We, we have been saved by your grace that enables us, Father, to live life really on a, in a different way compared to how the rest of the world lives. And we're grateful, Father, for your gift to us. Along with all that, Father, we, we know that we are guided by your Spirit, and your Spirit uses primarily your Word in our lives. Again, we thank you for your Word and ask, Lord, that not only would we have a great love for your Word, but, Lord, that we would have much more than just a sentimental attachment or a vague feeling of affection for the Bible. But, Lord, that we would be committed to living it out, to obeying what it says, to understanding all that is there to recognizing, Lord, what it addresses and how it addresses so many different facets of life. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to recognize, again, the great strength and the breadth of the influence of sin on us and how desperately we need your word to address every issue in our lives. And we thank you that you've given that to us. And again, you've given us the privilege and the opportunity to gather together to read your word, to think about your word. I ask, Lord, that you would give me the ability to clearly communicate what is there. That, Lord, you prevent me from speaking in error. And, Father, as we live our lives together in dependence upon the Spirit, that we'll be able to do so in a way that encourages others to consider Christ. And so we thank you and we do ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So, so 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, once again, Beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. As we began to consider this passage last week, we saw that Paul here is talk, has been talking about obstacles, obstacles to really living the life of an ambassador for Jesus Christ, obstacles that may hinder the ministry that God has given to all of us, which is the ministry of reconciliation. We, we covered and, and dealt with those things that, that defile us, especially compromises that might defile, defile us, such as being or getting involved with unbelievers in ways and associations that really limit us 
and keep us from being what we ought to be. Remember that I read to you from a, a quote from Henry Morris, which said that the clear inference is that believers and unbelievers are so different in character and interest that they should never be yoked together in situations requiring strong agreement of attitudes and goals. And so we spent some time talking how that applies to marriages, churches, businesses, partnerships, lodges or associations, organizations, all those kinds of things, and what we needed to do and how we needed to think about those things as believers. I wanted to point out to you that in this passage that there are, uh, there's five words that are important because they all emphasize relationship. There's the word partnership, fellowship, accord, or harmony, share, or common, and agreement. All those are talking about, again, this relationship that we, ha we may have with unbelievers, in particular in ways that would restrain us or prevent us from living and speaking as believers. And then along with that, there are these commands that Paul has given us here in, in response to all of these things. And that is that we are not to be unequally yoked, that we are not to be bound to them. Then there's a command to come away from or to, or to come out, to separate. And even he gets into this idea of not touching. Again, these commands are given to reveal how important and to see the strength and the seriousness of this issue that Paul is dealing with. Remember that as he writes these things, this is in light of the difficulty the church is having. Where, again, what, what has happened is there's been these men, really false teachers, individuals who kind of are seeking to establish themselves as being superior to Paul. Some commentaries, again, use the word they call themselves super apostles. Not that they really have used that label, but they present themselves that way. And the idea is to infiltrate the church, really depose Paul, what they think Paul has as far as his dominion over the church, which he has their authority. Uh, he has authority over them. He has the loyalty of the church. He's not really like their boss, but, they, but he does have authority over them. They want to depose of him, and they want to kind of take over that. They want to be the authority. They want to be the one kind of giving the orders. And Paul has already talked about that the way that they are involved in doing this, that when it comes to their character as well as their message, uh, it really falls short of what Christians should be. And so there's this great danger that's facing these believers. It's not just about being pulled away to follow someone other than Paul, but really being pulled away from following Christ and living in a way that honors Christ and then begins to diminish theology surrounding Christ. As we closed last week, I barely touched on this, I did mention that we need to evaluate our life in light of what Paul says, that we need to uh, make some decisions. I want to revisit that a little bit today, because I don't want you to think that, uh, you know, I just kind of came up with that with it from the top of my head, and that was just kind of a nice suggestion and a way to close out the sermon. Because here what Paul is making clear is there's, this, there's a command here for how, how we are to live and respond and apply the Word of God. It, it, we, to not implement what Paul is talking about is to disobey the Lord. It's to be in sin. So these things we've been talking about, they're not small things. They're important things. The command here really is to be separate. There's to be a separation really from the world system as it is, the philosophies of the world, the behaviors of the world, as believers. We are to disassociate ourselves from them We've already mentioned in that that doesn't mean that we have zero contact with non-believers. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that we do zero things with them. We can do all kinds of things with them. But there is very much this idea 
that we live our lives in such a way that we always make it clear that in, in our association with others, that we never put ourselves in a situation where we are yoked with them or bound to them in a way that either at that moment or maybe eventually will put us in a position where there is a restriction on how we are going to live or even express ourselves as believers. And again, Paul's taking that really very seriously. He says, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I think that throwing that in there is a very important thing for us to think about. Because in the Old Testament, remember that to be defiled or to be unclean meant that you were in a position where you could not worship God. You were, you were going to be separated from the worship of God, which means you'd be separated from the people of God as they would worship him. It really deeply affected you in every facet of your life. And this idea of touching something that's unclean, you know, it, it, the idea there is that holiness, in a sense, then, in our lives is to be absolute. It, it's, it's, it's an absolute, and we must live by that. And so we, we have to do a lot of hard thinking about the way we live and what we get involved with. Remember that in the very beginning, when you look at the book of Genesis, God divided the light from the darkness. Several preachers have said since then that ever since man has been trying to blend them back together. The carnal life that the Bible speaks of, or the fleshly life, uh, the carnal and the spiritual, the works of the flesh with the works of the spirit. They, they, there's been that separation in the scripture, and man, it's kind of his natural tendencies trying to put those things back together. In our minds, in our hearts, our thoughts and affections, there is to be an exodus from the dominion of the world influences and a complete surrender of ourselves to the call of God. We really are to be unique. If you want to use a more modern word, we have to be willing to be weird in the lives of, in the sight of others. They, if, they think about, if they think of us as being zealots, if they think about us as being those who've gone overboard, then so be it. We just have to be unconcerned with their opinion of us. We are concerned on one hand because we don't want them to think of us, as, as, uh, of us as just being obnoxious or that we're just loud or that we're judgmental. It's not all those things. We want to make sure that we guard our reputation, so to speak. At the same time, we know that if they exaggerate or lie about conduct that is truly Christian, then so be it. We, we can't run around and prevent that misrepresentation, whether it's on purpose or maybe by mis just misunderstanding. We can't be overly concerned with that. We need to be loyal to Christ, period. That's it. Separation in the scripture really is twofold. It's really simple if you think about it. Number one, it is we are to be separated from whatever is contrary to the mind of God. So we need to, you know, because some people are looking for the, you know, we're looking for the list. Where's the list of things that I can't do as a Christian? And there's some of that in the Bible, but it's much broader than that. Really, it's anything that is contrary to the mind of God. That would be an enormous list. But we're not allowed to get away with not thinking about what the Bible says, but what the Bible implies, what the Bible means, and how it's applied to our lives as Christians. God wants us to be a thinking people. God wants all of his people to be a thinking people. The other idea of separation is that we are separated unto or to God himself. The principle is, is that in this moral universe in which we live in, it is impossible for God to fully bless and use his children who are in a compromising position or in complicity with evil. 
I do believe, as I mentioned earlier, which uh, is very unfortunate, the, these, and it's not the first time it's happened, but the enormous number of issues, events, and names of individuals coming out that are involved in sinful actions in the church. You wonder how it is that these churches seem to be so blessed by God. It's often the case that God is blessing in spite of sin. It's never because of it, but it's in spite of it. And even when leaders sin, God, who is so generous, will still save those he's going to save. And there'll be those who, who will grow. But there's still an absolute command to God uh, as far as how we are to live, how we are to respond to such situations, period. And he will hold us accountable for those things. When it comes from, with this idea, so we think in terms of separating ourselves from evil, it implies that there is a separation in our desire, motives, actions from the world in an ethically bad sense of this present world system. So again, it's not limited to then just behaviors. Remember, you read through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Lord makes it clear that it's not just external um, movement where we appear or maybe even behave moral. It is internal and external. It does matter what we think about and why we do what we do. Now, I, I have different opinions at times, but you know, when it comes to the laws we have in our country, when it comes to what they call hate crimes. I'm just not really sure we, we can get in that venue and do it justice when it comes to that. However, God is very different because he knows everything about us. He clearly understands what our motives are, and he is saying that to him, your motives are important. And it does matter what, why you do the things that you do. And so this idea of separation then is important, that in the way that we approach the world, and the way that we approach life, the way that we approach every situation must be Christian. It must be biblical in every way. Here, as you look at what Paul is saying and think of all types of applications, one of the things I do believe he's getting at is there is to be separation from false teachers. Those who are described as being unworthy or dishonorable persons. You see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and you also see that in 2 John. So again, it's not only separation from what we might, dis we, we might say are clearly non-believers. There are those within, the, within Christianity where maybe their relationship with the Lord is questionable. Their actions really aren't because their actions and their speech is clearly non-Christian or non-biblical. And there's to be a separation from that. I do know that we would like to live our lives in such a way, in such a way that we're not really confronting things. We don't want to create tension. We must understand that this is from God here. And how people understand and perceive the things that we do is really important. So, as a wise man once told me, it's my father, he said, son, if you commit yourself to just teaching everything in the Bible and just sticking with that and trying to live that out, you can make a lot of people really unhappy. And that's true. There are some who've been, who are happy, thank goodness. Not everyone's my enemy. <laughs> but, the, but there's things that we hold on to that may not be biblical. There may be stands we take and people are like, oh, we don't need to go that far. Well, there are times that we do. There are times that we must. 
Not on everything. I do think there's still some confusion. You know, if we think about it, sometimes we will take a very bold, loud stand, maybe on the conservative side of politics, but we're not that bold and we, we're not that loud when it comes to taking a stand on Scripture. It's a problem with that. And we need to reassess that. I'm happy for those, and I think it's great that we honor those who have died so that we would have freedom. I'm, I'm there. But at the same time, we must remember we are Christians first. Our allegiance is to God and the Word. It is secondarily to our country. I'm not saying that we diminish our patriotism, but there's a clear order and priority, and we must not confuse the two. And so when it comes to this kind of thing that we're talking about here, we, we must take these things to heart and look at how we are living and how we are communicating as well as what it is we are communicating. I've already mentioned, I mentioned it again, it is never separation from contact with the evil world. And it's never, it's never separation from contact with the church. That's not how we respond to evil. You know, individuals have said, well, I don't go to church anymore because the church is full of hypocrites. I got news for you, so is Kroger. <laughs> I'm still going. They sell steak and fruit. That's what I want. Uh, we still have to have that. So we need to understand that, that, that just because there's hypocrites. I told one guy, I said, well, yeah. I said, but at least you know who the hypocrites are. They're not identified there. So we, we need to be together. So we can at least, what, confess of our hypocrisy and then move forward to less hypocrisy in our lives. If you would for a moment, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. I am going to stop along the way and make comment as we work our way through this passage. It's not going to be real lengthy, but it will be a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 6. Again, Paul is writing and he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. We immediately have to stop. Why does Paul say that? Because that attempt is going to be made. The attempt will be made to deceive you and I with empty words, and there is a great chance they will be successful. So he begins with, don't let that happen, because you and I are susceptible to that. He says, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Then he says, therefore, do not associate with them. So as he's been talking about, again, doctrine and, and those who are kind of messing up the church and all the you know, people who are moving astray from, from uh, right thinking, he tells us here that we don't want to be deceived. And then he says, don't even associate with them. And we've mentioned that a little bit talked about kind of ecumenical prayer service and why we would not be involved with that. It's not because we're trying to be arrogant. It's because we're trying to be, dis we're trying to be obedient to the Lord. We want to make sure that we're communicating the right thing. I don't hate Muslims. We can't pray together in public. This can't be done. We're praying to two different gods, period. And I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm saying, or by my presence there or anyone else, that we're saying it really is the same or there's not any real difference. There's a difference. And if people think that that's a statement of, and that I'm being mean, then I can't help that. I'm being as nice as I can, but I, I, can't, I can't compromise that. It cannot be done, period. And you can't do that in your families either. You have people in your family that believe different kinds of things that are contrary to the Bible. And someone says, look, you know, are we having a big family reunion? We want you and so-and-so to both pray. 
Well, uh, yeah, but, but Johnny's a, a Mormon. What are you going to do then? I guess there's different ways to handle that. I guess you could pray second and say, Lord, I know you didn't hear a word Johnny said because he doesn't believe in you. But that may not go over real well. You know, <laughs> some may lose their appetite or they might begin throwing food. But the thing is, is that we've got to figure that out. We, we have to be stubborn. There's some things you must be stubborn about. You can still be pleasant as best you can. But, but you, we have to be stubborn. And this is what he tells us. And then he, he reminds them. He says, for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord we need to remember that before you and i came to christ we were in darkness we represented darkness wherever we went we infected others with darkness you may not have thought you were doing that but that's exactly what you and i were doing but now in contrast to that you are not that person anymore you are now light you may not think of yourselves as light but you are you know who christ is you believe in christ you you know the gospel we are to live in light of the gospel, and we are to declare the gospel. So because we are light in the Lord, he says what? Walk as children of light. That means as you live your life, live your life in light of the gospel. In everything you do, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you respond, the way you talk, your body language, everything. We need to walk as children of the light. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That, that's our, one of our guiding principles. We need to try to discern. Right? That means with every, everything you have. You know, this is, well, I try, I can't think of nothing. Uh, that's where you're, you're living this way. And then he adds again, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I guess if I'm trying to find the simplest way to understand take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness is it goes back to what we said before anything that is not in agreement with the mind of God that's what that would be if you're unsure then don't do it so you are sure we just it's, it's a simple thing really in one sense and we're committed to Christ and there's nothing wrong with saying I can't do that because I'm a Christian maybe it's better if you said I can't do that because I love Christ but I'm just not going to haggle over words. The bottom line is, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. There's been times I said to my kids, or to my grandkids, we don't do that. That's very simple. We're Christians. We don't do that. We're Christians. That's wrong. We follow what God says. We don't do that. Just boom. There it is. You can explain it in great detail later. But we have to make those decisions. And it's important that we do so. But here's the thing, living that way, again, it can create tension, or at least in our minds it can. Maybe, maybe there, I think there is real tension at times it's created. So we, we live this way, and we, we may look like, you know, we, we are this, uh, an individual who's kind of maybe arrogant. There are associations we have with other groups or with other maybe ministries or churches that have to be changed because we cannot allow anyone to think that there's any kind of compromise what happens if you live that way well go back to our passage he says then i will welcome you and i will be a father to you and you should be sons and daughters to me says the lord now he's not saying here that if you do these things then he will welcome you and you can be a christian that's not what he's talking about what he's emphasizing here 
I guess you would say it would be the specialness, the closeness, the promised intimacy of this relationship that we have with God the Father. What he's emphasizing is, it's not just, yes, God is my Father and I live in fear every day. God is my Father. I do have this respect for him, but there is a closeness that is there. You know, you watch children with their parents, especially when kids are young, they do this. They, when they're ever in a new situation, what do they naturally do? They gravitate towards the body of mom and dad. They, they grab the leg of mom or dad. Or they grab, why are they doing that? Because of the closeness. Because they feel safe. They feel secure. There's a, uh, there's a peace that they experience as a result of that. This is the kind of thing that he's telling us here. Is in all of this turmoil and tension and all these maybe people who are going to be upset with you, there is this relationship you have with God that is going to go really to a deeper level. Not necessarily experientially, though I'm not going to eliminate that, but we're not going to speculate on that. But there is this idea that it's a very real thing. You know, the, when, when kids gravitate to their parents in those situations, they're not doing it because they're hoping they can be close to mom and dad there. No, that's evidence that they really are. It's, it's already there. It already exists. That's the idea. So there's a promise that's made to those who are separated from others. Basically, I guess you could say it this way, it would be the full manifestation of divine fatherhood in our lives. We'll have unhindered communion and fellowship with God the Father. That's an important thing. I know you want that in your marriage. Don't you want unhindered communion in your marriage? Now, some of you be careful because you're starting to do this. You know? Some of you are like, well, I would like to have that. Don't do that. Just We, we want to have that. that. We know that makes for a great relationship. We never have problems, but that's what we want. You know, that unhindered communion and friendship, you know, where, where we are on the same page and we're getting along and we're enjoying life together is the idea. Conformity with the world causes us to lose those things. It seems though that Paul here wants to show the benefit of separating from worldly influence and the benefit is a more intimate relationship with God. Robert Murray McShane said this, All believers are in the family of God and can call him Father. But here, there is something more. For the special portion of those who separate is to enjoy his most tender care. In some cases, those who left the idols' temples may have found themselves in dire straits. And those who left the Jewish synagogues may also have been ostracized. So both alike would need these promises to sustain them. And they were sustained. Because they would enjoy, again, this, the most tender care of God the Father. So it seems strange that if you want to have a deepening relationship with Christ... It's not necessarily trying to cultivate a special feeling or atmosphere when we gather to worship. That's living our lives in obedience to what he said. And here, this idea of separating from non-believers, as we have explained, this idea of separating from those who compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ in various ways, the command is clear. We are shrinking the circle of maybe close friends we could have because we seem to be argumentative at times 
but you will enjoy the greater intimacy with God the Father, which is really, I think, what all believers really jealously long for in their lives. When we see it or hear about the lives of others, we think really how wonderful that would be, how peaceful and how marvelous to be able to commune with God in that way. It seems those are the individuals that when they pray to God, so much happens. I never forget, there's a lot of, you know, if you ever read stories about George Mueller, it's just like one miracle after another. His, his communion with God was really incredible. It wasn't just that he was a great praying man, which he was, but I think his prayers were indicative of this relationship that he had with Christ. A man who sought to live separate to the Lord and really didn't care what others thought about him at all. And, and there's many different stories that you can recall. Remember one that was, it was where he was, he was scheduled to see, he was much older, he was scheduled to speak somewhere. And so he's in, a, he's in this big ferry, which I think is almost like a cargo ship, but they would allow passengers to ride, and it was a cheaper way to go. And so he's, he's headed toward this place, and he has a speaking engagement in the morning. And the captain calls him up to the bridge, because the captain knows who he is, and, and really views him as, as a man of importance, because the captain was a, a believer as well. And he, and he said, he said, brother, he says, I, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to miss your appointment. The fog is setting in. We cannot, we can't dock in the harbor in, in, this, in this weather. We can't do that. And so George Wheeler said, I must be there. We will be there. You keep moving towards the harbor. I'm going to go pray. And the captain said, well, you know, I'll come pray with you. He said, no, someone needs to drive the boat. He says, you drive the boat, I will go pray. And the way the story goes, is George Mueller then went to his room and he prayed. And the boat never changed its speed. As the fog lifted, they docked the boat or the ship. And George got off and was able to make it to his meeting on time. Because he had this sweet communion deep fellowship with God. He knew that was not unimportant to God and without fear of what anybody would think, he even prayed for the fog to lift. He fully expected it to happen and it did. I think too often we may try to pretend that we believe certain prayers will be answered because we believe God. But sometimes, and maybe many times, there's not much behind it. Not that we don't believe hard enough. We do. There's just no relationship with the Lord because we're not living in obedience. There's all these compromises in our lives. And that's why we need to take a look at that. The Lord wants us to be separated unto him and to live unashamedly for him. And to do so will bring about this great, wonderful communion and relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow before you this morning, some here, and there may be more than some, but some here do need to look at their lives deeply, evaluate maybe every relationship they have, whether it's with an organization or others, whatever the case may be. I ask the Lord that, that as they approach this topic, that they would not do so out of fear or worry, but out of a great love for you and respect for your word. I pray that you will give them the ability to be honest as they evaluate these things, that they would depend upon you for understanding 
and that they will make the decisions that will be honoring to you. Father, sometimes it's too easy for us to know what others should be doing. But we need to look at ourselves, and I pray that you give us the desire to do that. Father, again, for some of us, if we evaluate our lives in that way, it becomes clear that maybe we have too many close associations with others that, or organizations that compromise the mind of God, and the reason why there's so much of that is because we don't really know you. We're playing the game where we have one foot in church and one church in the world, and we're trying to ride those two ponies together, thinking we're going to make a success on both sides. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize that that's not going to happen. Because though you are a righteous and fair and kind and merciful judge, you are clear on what it is that determines whether one is a believer or not. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each one to rethink their relationship with the gospel of Christ, and to ask themselves if they truly believe and if they are committed to you. We pray that you make that clear to them. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And we just ask, Lord, that you would give to each one who strives to do even these difficult things, that you would give them great and deep and lasting joy, and that it would be their privilege to have you examine their lives in this way because they want nothing more than to rid themselves of anything that would serve as an obstacle to being involved successfully in the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord, again for reconciling us to yourself. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.